Hello and welcome to the Groove Sofa podcast. I'm Alice. And I'm Lucy. And together we want to invite guests to come and share their grief with us. Our aim is to cover a whole range of grief from a whole range of people. We're sorry for your loss, but we are glad that you have found us. Thank you for listening to the Groove Sofa podcast. Today, we are joined by the brilliant author and grief advocate, Mark Lemon. Mark shares with us the tragic story of his father's murder, how it felt to become a father for the first time, and the grief waves that hit him now, 29 years later. Okay, so yeah, my name's Mark Lemon. I am a children's author, a podcaster. Um, I talk a lot about grief and mental health, and I'm also an ambassador for children's bereavement charity, Winston's Wish. Thank you for coming on, Mark, and thanks for introducing yourself. Um, I'm a, we're both followers of your Instagram and I think what you sort of do and what, and what you're doing is fantastic. Uh, what sort of brought you to be where you are today? Yeah, so my, uh, kind of hate saying it, a grief journey, I guess, um, started when I was 12 years old. Um, my dad uh, was murdered. Yeah, and completely changed my world forever and that kind of I guess uh took me on this journey of grief and struggles with mental health um I'd say particularly through my teenage years and probably through my early 20s um so yeah back in 1992 as I mentioned I was 12 years old and we had uh, a cleaner at the time who sort of became uh, I guess a friend of the family she was going through a very difficult sort of um, marriage and was was very close to to getting a divorce and her husband was uh, was very jealous and he'd check her mail when it was uh, delivered to their house and so after a while we my parents offered to to get her post directed to our house and so my mum and my dad would would pass on the post either when she came to our house um, to clean or when she was at other houses and uh, on the 12th of May in 1992 she was cleaning at a house um, just outside Cambridge in a, a village there and my dad had taken the, her post over to to give to her and her husband had followed her to the house that she was cleaning at um, as he got there he saw my dad sort of red uh, car outside and, and decided to put two and two together uh, he went to a local um, shop and stole a boning knife and returned to the house and I believe he might have gone round the around the back of the house and entered through sort of the garden and um, uh, the lady and my dad were having a coffee in the kitchen and um, yeah they had an altercation and had a fight and I think by all accounts my dad sort of got the better of him but then he went to grab his briefcase to leave and the man pulled out the boning knife and stabbed my dad um, in the heart and the coroner's report um, said that he killed him instantly um, but then the man turned around and decided to stab him another 16 times and turned on his wife and stabbed her twice in the back and she managed to flee the house and uh to get help um by that point the man had sort of left um he, he buried the knife in the garden and um yeah I just remember being at school it was sort of 10 past three in the afternoon being in my class and I 
you know, the school bell rang at sort of quarter past three. And uh, I just remember seeing uh, a te- another teacher come into the classroom and, and go over to the teacher that was um, running the class at the time and sort of whispered something, came over to me and said, oh, your mum wants you to go home. And um, so I thought it was strange. I quickly went to get my bike. Uh, and actually, at the time, it was locked to a friend. So I had to then run back again, get my friend to unlock the bikes. And then I cycled home. And I always say, you know, whenever I'm telling a story, it kind of, the moment I was cycling home, I knew that something had happened. I knew that you just had this feeling, this sense that something wasn't right. And uh, and I arrived home to the close where we lived and you have to cross some grass to where our house is. And uh, I remember sort of in the, where the cars parked, seeing two police cars. And as I got to the, the pathway that leading down to our house, I could so I looked in and, and saw sort of lots of strange men in suits and I could hear my sister crying in the front living room and uh, and my aunts were in the kitchen and they said, oh, your mum wants to see you upstairs. And uh, and I remember going into our spare room and my mum sort of closing the door and uh, yeah, telling me that um, dad died this morning. And um I remember like holding her for about a minute. She was sort of saying, I don't know what we're going to do. And, uh, and then I had to get out of the house. It was too surreal, too strange. And uh, I just got back on my bike and cycled back to school. And, uh, and I immediately went to a friend of mine whose dad had died from cancer a couple of years uh, previous and, um and just dropped to my knees saying dad died this morning and the teacher came out and at that time obviously all the kids were coming out of school so it was quite visible um yeah and they sort of took me back in and then I went back to to the house and in the evening about seven yeah so that's kind of that's kind of the story that's wow I actually haven't heard your I haven't heard the full story I've kind of read a few things about you Mark and and the way you, you talk about about that in so much detail and so vividly, you know, it sounds it sounds like a film, like it doesn't sound like a real doesn't sound like a real life. And I'm mm-hmm. so sorry that you had to experience that at such a young age. And I find it quite fascinating that you remember so many details of that because I think people yeah. quite often kind of go one way or the other. Mm. And perhaps it's you know maybe you can maybe you can explain why but perhaps it is that you know you've really embedded yourself into that grief and you talk about your dad a lot and you know talk about the way it's impacted your life do you think that's why you remember those feelings so vividly or well do you know what if I'm honest for many years I struggled to remember but in 2017 I, I, I was asked to write an article for the Guardian newspaper for the family section and um and actually it wasn't going to be that article wasn't going to be about you know my my dad's murder it was going to be about uh, the books that I write and uh I think from from another article that I briefly mentioned it in the uh the journalist said oh would you be interested in writing about your experience and you know at first I was a bit hesitant because for many years I hadn't really talked about it you know I'd locked it away and that's where I thought it would always stay and um and so I had to, for the article, I had to delve into the old newspaper clippings and, um, and you know, and, and really sort of take myself back yeah. to that day. And, you know, apart, apart from that, I had remembered 
um, a lot of what had happened, obviously, on that day, because I think when you experience such a traumatic um, thing as a child, you, you know, there is tendency to, to lock it away and forget and choose to forget. Mm. Um, but I think over the years, I'd kind of worked on myself a little and done a bit of, you know, I'd had counselling and sort of, and 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 that's where I'd sort of really remembered those sort of very, like you say, vivid details as to what had happened. Um, because, like you say, <laughs> when I even when I tell the story back, sometimes it's it is like a movie. It is like yeah. this yeah. strange thing that you would never think would happen to you. You know, right. and even to this day, talking to you guys, you just it amazes me that this did happen to our family, and that because. You know, and I always say there was no signs around our family experiencing anything like that, you know. So it was so out of the blue. Yeah, and it's incredibly traumatic and incredibly um, brutal what, what you went through at such a young age. Um, you know, 12 as well, you're, you're so sort of like innocent and like naive to like a lot of like the bad things in the world. Well, mm. I, I certainly was when I was 12. Um, was this your first experience of grief as, as a 12 year old boy? Well, I think before that, you know, like any young person, like any sort of, I guess, uh, natural uh, way of experiencing grief was my, my grandma, um, you know, my dad's mum when she died and but obviously you know she died of old age and yeah sure sure so you know so that was kind of my first step into um losing anybody um but again you know <laughs> incredibly <laughs> different yeah yeah incredibly different um and you can never you know obviously there's no way of preparing yourself for, for something like that yeah. Mm, absolutely and you, you mentioned actually about your you how you went straight to your friend it was mm. that had also experienced that loss and even at the age of 12 you could see that you like instantly knew who to go to did yeah. you then you know did having that friend who kind of was also without a dad at the same age did that really help you in those teenage years you know was it quite surprising um, yeah I guess, I guess at, at points it did um we 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 had a couple of chats, I guess. Um, but I think the big thing for me was because what had happened to me was so unique and yeah. was yeah. so traumatic, and mm. I didn't know anybody else who'd experienced anything like that. Um, yeah. Which I think perhaps is why I maybe locked it away for so many years because. You know, and I, I always say it's not a dinner table conversation. You know, you say, "Oh, yeah, you know, how did your dad die?" Um, so, and I think I, I'd always tried to avoid that at all costs. You know, I think put anybody in that situation of, yeah. you know, I, 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 I'm sure you guys can you absolutely. Know, you... And I think Alice might be able to speak more to this. But what one of the things that we've talked about a lot is the fact that you know with if you have if you have a disease that leads to your death it's a completely yeah. different thing and if you have a disease that's kind of socially people are socially aware of it's a very different thing so like my dad had cancer yeah one in two people have cancer so lots of people will go oh that's you know terribly sad and they kind of expect 
they can have conversations much more easily. You talk about how they fought, you know, they fought the battle, they did this, they did that. Mm. It's not the same thing if somebody dies in a complicated way or yeah. without explanation. Yeah. And it's really difficult to then find, yeah, people don't know the words to say at the best of times, but at least it's with cancer, people kind of know how to navigate slightly that conversation. <laughs> Whereas with, you know, unexpected deaths yeah. and with really, really traumatic deaths that, you know, there is no reason why that should have happened to you or your family. It doesn't make any sense. Mm. You know, there yeah. was no warning. There was no, no. warning signs. There's no pre preparation time for it. Mm. And I think it's really difficult. Um, yeah, it's really, really tricky. Yeah, it is really, really tricky. And uh, and I think the other thing for me was that it was so public. It was in. It was on the news. It was in. Oh, yeah, sure. And obviously, there was no social media back then, so it was kind of basically newspaper it was in the newspaper it was in the you know not just the Cambridge um television it was across East Anglia yeah, and um and so for me I always struggled with that feeling of everybody knows you know I am that yeah. boy whose dad was murdered and yeah. again that kind of you know whether that was my own insecurities or, or whether it was others it kind of left that space of awkwardness um yeah. with others and um when really I probably just wanted to talk about it you know I did want to remember him and 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 talk about him and probably say how sad I felt and all these feelings but maybe I back then you know I mean this that's why these incredible children's charities exist now is because they give children that space to be able to to remember and yeah definitely yeah how, how, how would you sort of say it was like grieving as a teenager so you sort of spoken about how you just sort of like locked it down didn't mm. have much support um that must have been really really isolating and really difficult growing up you know 12 is just so young you don't even have the capacity to sort of be able to even process mm. stuff like that yeah it was it was tough i for a project, I'm, I'm writing a new book at the moment, and I thought for the book, I interviewed my old form tutor, and uh, and it was incredible because it was the first time I'd spoken to him. That must be I amazing. Left, since I left school, yeah, in 1994, and so yeah. you know, I, it was the first time I'd sat down with him because the purpose around the conversation was obviously how he supported me, how you know I, I sort of found school life and and all of that, and he said, "Look, you know, you, I mean." he said, you just went completely in on yourself, you know? Um, and, and I remember, yeah, I remember being like that, you know, was, I struggled to know how to really communicate my, the feelings that I had, these powerful feelings. Yeah. And, um, and so I remember, actually, I remember more, more helpful speaking to one of the ex headmasters who, who I actually knew through playing tennis. And, you know, so it was like, well, maybe Mark might like to just, meet so-and-so once a week and I remember I was about 14 at that point going in and just you know well we talk about schoolwork and then we talk about maybe how I was feeling and I think because he was maybe a, a male figure um I felt a bit more able to speak to him and open up um yeah which helped but then at the same time I I didn't I didn't know how to really 
channel these feelings channel these powerful feelings so you it's know it can, yeah yeah it, sorry um it's almost like that it's almost like you're being treated like a grown-up because they don't really know how to treat how to act like you're a child but also you you're kind of understanding it on a grown-up level because you've had to be faced with this reality which is a very grown-up reality of you know these <laughs> things happen and yet you're still 14 years old and trying to like figure out like how do I come like even now mm. as an adult like as a functioning yeah. you know mid 20 year old I'm still like oh my god I've got all these emotions and which box do they go into <laughs> how like processing all of that whilst you're 14 and then also mm. having that kind of not special treatment the treatment that you need to have it's that you know that extra support but it's with adults you know, mm. checking in on you treating you like you're an adult yeah yeah it must be really even more confusing almost because you you don't get that you know you kind of yeah your separation between being a child being an adult really really blurs when you lose somebody so young I think yeah no you're right you're right and um and I think again going back to sort of the children's charities you know how they have these sort of you know these meet-up days and and these away weekends and all that stuff, just actually meeting <laughs> another person, another teenager or someone your own age, you know, that you can relate to is so powerful. And yeah. uh, because, I mean, they do say one in 29 school children, you know, bereaved. Um, but I didn't know, apart from my friend, obviously, um, I didn't know any other kids that had experienced that. So That's... I didn't have any, I didn't have anyone else to bounce off. I didn't know how. And so, I did have to, I guess, navigate my feelings and the way I thought was, you know, helpful to me. Um, yeah, that, I, that statistic is wild. One in 29. I didn't realise that's really high. I mean, that's like one in every school class, right? And yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's... Um, so, yeah, I think that's... I mean, obviously, that's why I'm so passionate now about just just sort of, you know, raising awareness for obviously a charity like Winston's Wish, but just just talking you know well I mean obviously when I talk on social media I'm talking to the parent or the adult that's supporting the young person because that young person wouldn't be on social media I'd imagine um but it's just saying look you know it's okay for them to feel however they're feeling because suppressing any of that isn't gonna serve them well in the future as as I am sort of a case in point really but um yeah so like, how would you say that your grief changed over the years was there like a certain age or or um you know life change that happened when you say that your grief started surfacing more and you started to deal yeah. with those feelings maybe more as an adult and stopped maybe locking them down so much was there a certain point would you say it's sort of you know done the classic grief wave thing over the years yeah yeah I'd, I'd say sort of mid-20s basically I, I, I was probably around 25 um I was in a relationship at the time and you know I think maybe uh you know all these sort of feelings started to resurface um but as is with grief you know you might blame it on something else <laughs> and um when really it all stems from this traumatic experience that you've encountered you know um no matter what age you are and so yeah I was probably about 25 and and then I just said look you know I think I need to reach out to a, uh, an organization or counseling and have a chat. And so I contacted Cruz and, um, and I sat down with, uh, with someone for, I think it was around six weeks. So we'd, we'd meet every week and 
and I remember it now actually it was I mean it was brilliant it was really good because you know no matter what stage you are in life you know when you've experienced grief there's always more to talk about there's always something to express and uh and and something that you know can 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 affect your day and and so yeah just that sort of sitting down with someone for that amount of time was was really helpful yeah I think it's really good point to make um that you made just there about you know literally it could be any time like any time in your life and something could come along and there's always more to say there's always something else to unpick in that grief journey I'm not really sure if I like the the phrase grief journey but I equally don't know what's better to describe it Um, yeah yeah you're right you know it just it changes it ebbs it flows it's like it simmers it bubbles like every every adjective there is (laughs) there's always something that could just come along and there's always I think every time I speak to different people it makes me realize that you know maybe I hadn't thought about this element of it yeah. or yeah. Um, you know it just brings up different feelings I think it's a really good point and I one of the things I love about following your page is that I you know really appreciate that you create content that's so relatable and I love the fact that you really advocate that you know your grief hasn't stopped because you Mm. lost your dad when you were 12 Mm. you know all these years later it's just as valid and it's just as much there and it's just as much heard and it needs to be heard because I think a lot of people over time they forget they think like well you know I have to kind of get on with my life now and I can't have these bad grief days but I think you're really powerful in advocating for people who are longer along that journey you know much further along that journey and that's something that you know is really really valued in the grief community oh thank you well yeah absolutely I mean you know a a perfect example and I'll be honest with you yesterday I had like half an hour of just feeling like shit and and it was at lunchtime and it came on unexpected and I literally bawled my eyes out for 30 minutes and I text my wife and I said look I'm having a really shit day today I'm feeling like a crap parent I'm feeling like a crap husband and da 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 and then you know as always we have a little debrief in the evening and it's like okay so you know it's it, it it's I always forget and it's really weird how you could forget that something as traumatic when you know 29 years ago can still resurface and can still overwhelm you and can still uh sort of overpower your confidence in what you are doing no matter what it is and and so that yeah that's exactly why I do keep talking about it I do keep sharing I do keep saying to people look no matter what stage you are in life um it's important to keep talking it's it's important to keep expressing how you're feeling and, and I had a chat with someone this morning, a friend of mine whose mum recently died. And, and we had a chat and I said exactly the same thing. And, and I told her that no matter what anyone else's grief is doing, you stay in your own grief lane, you know, because no one's grief is more than yours, you know. And that's, I think it's a David Kessler. He said something like that, very similar. And it's true because, you know, your grief is your own. And the way that you're feeling 
kind of connects to the relationship you had with the person that's died and and so the 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 things i post about you know firstly it stems with my feeling and how i'm doing that day normally yeah and then you just hope that it resonates with somebody else and 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 it always does it always will there'll always be somebody who can yeah resonate with you (laughs) yeah Yeah. Even if you think it's something that like, oh gosh, no one's ever thought this before. And that's what's so important about having these conversations and being open and being honest um, is that there's always someone that's had the same thought as you, no matter sort of how abstract or, or you know, out there you think that it is. Um, yeah. yeah. So you, you sort of spoke about like your wife and your children. How would you say it was becoming a father and being a fatherless father? Mm. yeah you see and I've written about this before it was it's probably one of the most powerful moments in my life was becoming a dad to you know don't get me wrong when fear came along it was exactly the same feeling but when I became a dad to Otis and I was a dad to a son um it was so emotional it was such a huge life moment because it I had such a great relationship with my dad that it kind of I don't know it sort of really felt like I could channel the love that I still held for my dad you know because and I know some people view this differently in terms of you know when someone dies you still carry the love but I think that's true um because where else does that love go you know you you have to have you know and so obviously I just had this son and I became a parent and it and it was beautiful and uh and um and now he's 10 and so I kind of and and Thea obviously is six and so and it it's quite mad in a sense when you think about it because Otis and Thea are very similar age differences to me and my younger sister my my older sister she she's got a different dad so in terms of my dad he had two children that he'd you know created I guess um yeah who were very similar age. And so, you know, without saying, sounding such a cliche dad, you know, <laughs> Otis is <laughs> cricket and he's, you know, he loves his sport and I did too. And so there's, there's, yeah. very, similar, there's very similarities, similarities. And, and, mm. um, and I, and it will be tough, you know, when he's, when he's the age that I, sure. you know, w- was when my dad died, yeah. it's, that's going to be, that's going to be a big one. I, feel. I think it, yeah, I think it will, you know, that's probably going to be a, a, a element of, well, just, I can't even imagine because, you know, I'm not a parent myself and I wasn't 12 and my dad wasn't murdered. Like, but like when, you know, when your son gets to that age, I think it's just going to be like a, you know, shit. Like I was this young when, when my yeah. dad was murdered. Yeah. And yeah, I think that is going to be really, really significant and, and yeah, really emotional. Do you... I, like, are you able to, or do you do anything to talk about your dad to your kids? Like, do you have like photos around the house, or have conversations around him? Or yeah, yeah, we do. I mean, we do have photos, and we. I yeah. think I would say over the last couple of years, <laughs> it's quite funny, really, because <laughs> I used to write books. Well, I do write books, obviously, mm-hmm. children's books, and then so that was kind of like the main focus point for the kids, and now. Yeah. You know, <laughs> they've had to go up to their 
grandmas because I'm speaking on the radio and they're like, talking about, I'm talking yeah. about Greece. <laughs> and so Thea, she's just straight out classic, you know, six going on 16. What, you know, what did you do today? Oh, I, 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 you know, say for instance, later on, they'll probably say, what did you do? Oh, I spoke to two lovely ladies about grief and they'll be like, great, you're always talking about grief. Dad. <laughs> so, yeah, well, I, you know, so, but the positive part of that is that it kind of, opens up the conversation Aww. with them yeah. and yeah. um yeah so, so, so uncool <laughs> yeah right yeah um and um yeah so sort of a couple of years ago actually we I got the idea from Winston's Wish and we it was my dad's un- the anniversary when he died and so the kids were like hey well maybe we should lay a place for him in the morning for breakfast and you know make pancakes Aww. Things that's like that. so cute just like a celebration and yeah, um like a birthday so lovely that's and it was so the lovely. night before and, and and normally i i wouldn't you know obviously i would tell simone about she mm. she would know when the 12th is coming up you know whether i start to feel a bit funny or i start to, you know she's like listen you know do what you need to do but anyway so i saw the night or the day before i said oh it's, it's grandpa's the anniversary that he died tomorrow and i can't remember which otis or thea they said oh maybe we should um should we do pancakes? You know, because normally that's what we do on a birthday or a celebration. I was like, okay, yeah, let's do it. So we did pancakes and we and we we left a sort of place for him. And then in the afternoon, we went and got some balloons and, and both of them wrote like a note on each balloon. Um, and and we we let them off. Um, and actually we let them off at the tree that inspired um the magical wood, which is the children's book I wrote to help bereaved children and and it was just amazing so it kind of you know it gave it enabled the space to be able to remember him and um so yeah I'm always very conscious about keeping his memory alive through the stories that I tell of him and their their granddad died in January um Simone's dad and and you know he was an amazing man and so and we do the same now you know we sort of Oh, do you remember when you did this or that? Because um, it's important, isn't it? Yeah. Gosh, I'm crying my eyes out. <laughs> I just, I just hope that one day when I have kids, I, you know, my kids will do that for my dad. I just think it's so lovely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Pancakes. Yeah. No, they will. They will. <laughs> just so they will. sweet. But yeah. it took me, it took me a long time to get to that point of um, feeling. I mean, it was such. It was an emotional feeling for me, obviously, because. I'd felt I'd got to a point of being able to talk to the kids about uh, my dad. And, um, but the next big thing will be telling them what happened to him and how he died. Because even Thea now, like I said, going on 16, she's been here before, Um, I swear, you know, she, how did he die? Yeah, She'll always ask me at the most random moments and I was oh god um not, not ready for this conversation yet <laughs> anyway uh, I've just got to wash up um yeah. and it's... and I think because of the age difference I would imagine I'll sit down with Otis first to tell him um but that will be and I've said it I always say it it's gonna be tough and yeah I think he's such a, he, I wouldn't be surprised if he's already aware because um <laughs> well I was on um BBC Points West being interviewed or I was on 
and they went up they went to up to Simone's mum's and and I think she'd left the telly on or the radio on and I was talking and I was you know uh and I was like did you hear anything and he sort of said no no you know <laughs> no uh, no yes yeah. um and so anyway yeah that'll be the the next big thing I think is actually telling him what happened yeah I was wondering um you've spoken a little bit about your mental health and, and how you've kind of struggled with that over the years. And something that we talk about quite often on the podcast is this idea of death anxiety, you know, worrying that everybody mm. around you is going to die. And I think that must feel, I mean, I might be wrong, but that must feel quite a different type of anxiety for you because, yeah. you know, being murdered is quite a significant difference to like being sick and mm. worrying about somebody getting sick. Has, has that played, you know, are you more fearful of things? You know, do you have that anxiety? Do you carry it with you? I think, I think I have, if I'm honest. I think it's got, I think it's got worse. Um, but it's because I think as the kids have got older, it's, I occasionally do worry that, God, and I think it's because, like I said earlier, they're getting to the age, closer to the age of when, my sister and I were, you know, lost by death. And so it kind of, I do sometimes struggle with that feeling of, I don't want to leave them, you know? Yeah. And I don't want yeah. them to ever experience what I went through. I don't want any child to experience what I, or any person um, to experience what I went through because, yeah, it's just such an unbearable heart, heart wrenching pain, you know, of, of that one person being there one minute and then they're gone like a flash the next. And I think that's yeah. why, you know, I, I, I have to be honest and I have to keep talking and I have to keep writing yeah. and sharing that this doesn't go away. And you do, mm -hmm. even 29 years later, you have to combat these anxieties and these feelings because these are the little seeds that plant. Yeah after a traumatic experience and you know no matter what age no matter what age you are when you lose a parent mm -hmm. or, or a loved one so close to you you know these are the sort of the little seeds that are planted that, that you have to live with for the rest of your life and um mm -hmm. and and you have to learn how to navigate and cope and and, and um you know perfect thing was yesterday you know like I said yeah. so um you know, but you approach them when you, you know, and eventually you just learn how to maybe, um, I guess, I guess, welcome it. You have to yeah. welcome it, you know, yeah. like you guys you know. To you've got to embrace it. Yeah. yeah. You have to embrace it. You have to have that gut-wrenching cry and you've got to get it out, you know. Yeah. And, and it's important that all men understand this mm. as well as obviously women, yeah. That was well, uh, interesting you brought that up because I was just about to ask you about that. Um, so the first point I just wanted to say was I imagine there's times when sometimes you look back over your life and think, gosh, like, you know, how have I got this far? And then the other question that I wanted to ask you, and um, you are actually our first male guest on the Group Sober podcast, and we've got more men um, over the next sort of like coming weeks we sort of got in touch with men because we noticed that we were only getting female um voices coming forward mm -hmm. so I want to open up the conversation about um the differences for how you have found it's been grooving as a male and how you think that's been 
impacted as maybe what your grief should look like. Um, I've read things that you've posted before about things that you've been told. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, I think with me, um, because it happened in 1992 and over the last, I'd say, sort of four or five years, you know, as a country, we're, you know, through through high-profile individuals talking about mental health, men's mental health, it's how it's helped a lot with shining a spotlight but there are still men out there who struggle to know how to open up and share their feelings and talk about their feelings and feel brave enough to tell their friends uh to open up um with even with their wives with their partners with whoever it is and so yeah i think maybe uh at the funeral you know you're the man of the house now is the classic That's line. The comment. Yeah. yeah, I remember reading that and just thinking. I mean, I was 12. And yeah. For this guy yeah. to come up to me, you know, I think he was one of my dad's colleagues who'd come to the funeral, mm-hmm. which, you know. Um, and I'd, I just remember standing there going, right, okay. So 12 years old. 12 years old. <laughs> it's unreal. And I, and well, you know, and thankfully my mom, you know, there wasn't, that, but that sort of sits, you know, and manifests. And um, and that's kind of what, what we've got to move away from. And it's important that all men and young men, teenagers, because now more and more and more teenagers are starting to take their own lives. And I'm hugely passionate about telling people grief, although it's not perceived as a mental health illness, it can turn into a mental health illness if not properly addressed Definitely. during the yeah. early stages of grief. And that goes for, for, for women as well as men. Mm-hmm. And so that's why that, you know, podcasts like this are fantastic because it opens up the conversation and, yeah. you know, and, and I'm the same with my podcast. I, th- I think I've probably had around six men, you know, mm-hmm. um, 32 episodes now because yeah, it's it's not a subject that a lot of men feel comfortable with opening up about. Um, and I, I think that is well, you can you'll be able to answer this as a man, but would you say that is due to like societal beliefs or pressures or like sort of you know like little comments like that you had made to you? Like, yeah. do you think that's what it is? It's like a you know how maybe men feel like they should grieve and you know feel like they should be doing things a certain way which then obviously leads to bottling up leads to unresolved grief and you know mental illness and suicide and it's just like it's absolutely awful absolutely and I remember actually I was quite conscious of the first guest I ever had on my podcast was um amazing guy called Ben Telford and uh you know and I went to his and actually, at that point, his his wife, Clemmie Telford, who, who's also, you know, sort of very much involved with social media and all of that stuff, he had, he'd become full-time dad. And so he was at home and he was, you know, so I remember sitting with him in his house and we were having a coffee and we had lunch and we were, you know, it was a really great chat. But he was saying that after his dad died, he'd locked it away. And then that manifested into other issues in terms of, you know, yeah. his life. And, and so I think that does, that is where a lot of men do struggle. They kind of, they feel like they've got no option, but to, you know, perhaps grieve for a short while, you know, however long that is, and then move on with their lives and get on with being 
that classic um, breadwinner, whatever it might be, you know, I have to be seen as strong because if I don't, then my mates will take the mick out of me. That might yeah. be how they're thinking. That's not, I'm not saying that's the case. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, I think that's kind of where the stigma sort of sits. And I mean, that, but but that's what, you know, there are some fa- great charities now, mental health charities, um, you know, male figures talking about mental health. But um we still need to do more like it's, it's definitely it's definitely happening and emerging but like there's still like work to be done but mm. I do feel like you know like you said over the past sort of few years there is being a bigger movement on men's mental health and you know men's mental health campaigning and yeah. and stuff like that and the more male figures we have talking about it yeah. and the more you know young boys teenagers young men when men at any stage in their life really seeing yeah. these male figures the more likely they are to then talk about it so you know yeah. hopefully hopefully that movement will keep on happening and you know think, we'll sort of end up evening out as the generate you know as generations go on um maybe that our children will be better mm. yeah I think it will and I you know so for instance I watched the Joey Essex documentary the other day on iPlayer and his mum took her life when he was like 10 or you know it's very similar age to what I was I remember thinking and how powerful it was because he himself hadn't talked about it for years yeah and he yeah. refused to talk to a therapist he, he 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 refused to even have a picture in his house and whereas on the other side of it his sister was very open and she had lots of photos and all that sort of stuff but I think you know he himself as a male had very much just refused to acknowledge the pain and the the trauma and how it had affected him. So, you know, the more people like that, that do these things and and really do it in a sense of vulnerability, because you could see, you could see he really struggled. And I think that's really important for young people to see. Yeah. I, yeah. Sorry. No, it's something that we we've said quite a lot is that, you know, part of the part of the reason we want to do this podcast part of the reason why we share posts on Instagram and kind of want to be part of this grief community is because we know by exposing our vulnerability we're allowing others to expose Mm. theirs and at work I I work at Cancer Research UK and I set up an internal grief network for our staff and it's amazing to see how many people come along and have never never spoken to anybody about their grief outside of work, but now yeah. suddenly have a space where I'm going, yeah, I'm happy to sit here and talk about my dad who died last year, and you're yeah. welcome to do the same thing. That's amazing. And we have people literally from, maybe people lost their mum 30 years ago when they were in their 20s, and now they're in their 50s, and they're coming to talk about her, but it's the first time that they've done it. Mm. And it's just because one person's gone, oh, I'm feeling like I can be brave enough to show that vulnerability and that's you know the thing that you do on your platform really really well and I just think it's so powerful coming from a male's perspective because you know the the cases are so high of people not talking about it and really struggling with their mental health and then unfortunately um yeah losing their lives to mental health it's Mm. just it's just awful um I just thought it would be lovely, you know, you talk about how wonderful your relationship was with your dad. Have you got a favourite memory of him that you'd be happy to share with us? Um, oh, gosh. Uh, we used to, um, 
Well, we used to play a lot of sport together, that classics dad and son relationship. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. You know, he was that. And I think that's why, again, the relationship I have with Otis is so special because it just takes me back, immediately takes me back. You know, if I'm outside, you know, kicking a football around with him or whatever it might be, you know. Um, you know, we used to have great holidays. Um, really, really thankful to him for... Um, we used to sort of, you know, drive through France, then into Switzerland, and all that stuff. And he used to plan out these routes, and and you know, I picture him with, with a map. He used to do like Eurocamp and stuff like that, and and just really opening us over the twelve years to those amazing experiences and those holidays that we'd have in the summertime for those two weeks, three weeks, and and so those those are the memories that really come to me of him special things the special yeah. things that you used to do together yeah and I guess yeah like just doing yeah special things with your dad and yeah like and that's what you hold on to now is his this special times and special memories and I must admit I had a little bit of a laugh when you were saying you picture him with a map just it's just like a classic dad thing isn't it yeah I <laughs> like yeah. planning out a route and <laughs> exactly you had his gla- he'd have his glasses on we've just yeah. early evening he'd have his stubby mm. beard you know, peering over the glasses, looking at a map. Um, mm. <laughs> you know, um, lots of you know, lots of really fond memories and and ones that I continue to remember every day. And like you guys, oh. like you guys, you know, every day they're in our minds. They never leave, and that's where they should be. And that's what we need to tell people. We're not moving on. It's you know, you can jog on if you think we're moving on. You know. But um, where they're here in our memories and our hearts, and, and that's where they need to stay, and that's why they will always be. Because that's you know, and I always say that um, I'm continually inspired by him, even 29 years later, because that's what drives me forward. And and you know, and I wouldn't be where I am now. I wouldn't be talking to you guys. Yeah. 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 Definitely. And I think, um, so I'd just like to say thank you so much for coming on. I've really, really enjoyed this episode. It's um, been really great to listen to you and thanks for yeah coming on and talking to us. And um, one question that we actually ask our guests is inspired by um, something that you did before. So huh. when we're talking to our guests who were grieving, maybe, um, you know, as a teenager or as, as a child or, you know, a, a certain period ago, um there was a thing you did about writing a letter to your younger self which then oh, sort yeah. of took off I think a, an account called grief kid sort of did her version of it and yeah. got loads of people sort of doing it so we actually ask our guests sometimes you know if you could go back and, and talk to yourself but <laughs> um what would you say so if you could go back we're asking you your own question <laughs> if, you could, if you could go back to your 12 year old self what would you what would you say oh god yeah um well, <laughs> you sounded worried and it's your own question. <laughs> it, is, it is, it is. But I, I, I'll be like, oh, what did I write? Um, <laughs> so I would just say that you're going to be okay. Eventually, you'll be fine. You know, this, this, I think it's this unbearable pain. It will mold you into who you are and and inspire you, and 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 you and good will come from it. You know, and I think that's. I think that's that's the best thing that we can do to honour the legacy of the person that's died. And um, 
and that's what I try to do each day um, with my dad, whether it's Instagram or you know writing a children's book or a podcast. You know the, the conversation, the conversation is part of the legacy, and uh, and and you will you will be fine. Um, you know it's you'll always live with the pain, but you will learn how to live with it. And uh, yeah, I think that's that's what I would say. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Grief Sofa podcast. Please subscribe, rate and review to help us reach new listeners. If you have enjoyed listening and would like to join us on the Grief Sofa, please get in touch on Instagram at the Grief Sofa or email us thegriefsofa at gmail.com.